0: Hello and welcome to School Meets World. Uh, we're glad to have you back. Uh, if you're joining us again and you've listened to any of our previous episodes, if you've not, welcome. You're in for quite a treat. My name's Roma Demija.
1: And I'm Carl C. Poupe.
0: What are we talking about today, Carl?
1: We are talking about artificial intelligence. And Roma, you've got a list for us to clarify, haven't we? For, for the viewers. Yeah. Viewers in the public.
0: Because let's be honest, when we talk about artificial intelligence, I don't know about anybody else, but I just get an image of RoboCop. Um, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. We're not. What talking about the Matrix?
1: About- Come on, let's update it. The <laughs> yeah. Matrix of Neo getting plugged in. That's what we're thinking, right?
0: No, well, not today, not today. We're not getting that far. Um, but it is, isn't it? It's such a broad term. And it's yeah. been, you know, it's, it gets battered around a lot. So what we're talking about and what we're interested in is artificial intelligence in the workplace and obviously how that's going to influence our young people. So, so there's five, five kind of things that we're really uh, focused on. We're talking about physical artificial inter- intelligence in terms of robotics. So you already will see this in manufacturing plants for cars, for instance robots kind of putting cars together etc but also autonomous vehicles we're talking about computer vision and visual processing so for instance these deep fakes that you see and the ability to recognize uh visual images and uh link them together we're talking about language processing um and virtual agents so you know a couple of years ago i was really surprised to learn that a lot of the chat bots that you sorry a lot of the chat um functionality that you have on websites is actually bots and they are fed previously asked questions and kind of look at your questions pick up on the words and then reply back to you and it's not necessarily a human being until that bot gets to a stage where it cannot answer your questions so we're looking at that kind of functionality and finally machine learning so a simple way to for me to describe machine learning is your phone when you pick it up and you type something out, if it doesn't recognize a word, it will suggest another spelling for the word. But over time, it starts recognizing the words that you use and starts building sentences for you. So that is an example of machine learning, for instance. So that is what we're talking about. Real world applications of artificial intelligence.
1: Yep. So there's no matrix. We're not going to plug you into anything. So don't worry about that. <laughs> so um, the re- where my interest in artificial intelligence came was actually a while back. Um, the previous uh, governor of the bank of england a gentleman called mark carney in 2016 he released a very interesting report so basically what he as the as the governor of the bank of england his job is to look at what is going to affect the economy and his job partly is to forecast what are the things that could possibly damage the economy what are the things that could possibly boost the economy how basically healthy is the uk's balance sheet so he released this report And he warned, and he's wrote a book about it now, for the life of me, I can't remember it, but he's talking about something called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. So what Mark Carney was saying was that robots threaten 10% of British jobs within the next 10 years, and he said that could accelerate. So what he was saying was, and I'm going to use some quotes from his reports, he said that basically there are emerging technologies which are sweeping the world which will destroy 10% of British jobs equating to 3.2 million roles um, going over the next 10 years, according to uh, national figures. So he basically said every technological revolution mercilessly destroys jobs and livelihoods and therefore identities well before new ones emerge. So traditionally, when we think of AI, we think of manual jobs, i.e. like forklift trucks and things involving hands, jobs that could be dangerous or, or basically laborious for a human to do. But what he uh, discovered was that it's not only those are tr- traditionally seen as what we call blue collar jobs what or working class jobs for one of a better term. What he was talking about was that it's not only touching blue collar jobs, but also white collar jobs. So he was talking about uh, many jobs in the service industry. Um, one of the predictions was in the next uh, 15 to 20 years, 85 percent of all customer service jobs will be basically gone um you're talking about chatbots chatbots now so when i went to do my car insurance i went for a chat box uh chatbots chatbots so i can't even (laughs) say the word Um, a chatbot so you know the (laughs) chatbot comes up how can i help you and then obviously depending on the nature of the query if it's simple the chatbot will deal with it if it's not then it refers you to a customer service agent but he's saying 85 percent of all customer service interactions will be gone it's also talking about things like being doctors. So what they are trialing, I think I believe in Singapore, is instead of having a human nurse, they actually have a like a robot that goes through the wards and it can dispense medicines. If you need help, there's a video in its chest, and you can talk to a doctor. Um,
0: linked to that, Carl, I sorry, linked to that, I was recently reading a study about how they are trialing artificial intelligence uh, to be able to read scans for cancer detection. And they have now got to a stage where um, the robot is better at cancer detection than an experienced doctor. I'm not talking a new mm. one, but an experienced doctor, because they don't come with any bias. Absolutely. So they are able to just look at it and identify patterns and suggest whether whether a um, patient is at risk or the cancer is already developed and then talk about how developed it is as well. And so, you know, going back to what you were saying, we're not just talking about kind of manual jobs. We're not talking about truck drivers here being replaced by autonomous vehicles. We're talking about some really kind of uh, jobs that would require lots of qualifications, a long period of time for the human brain to be able to Mm -hmm. um, deliver that level of service uh, being replaced by- Machines. In
1: fact, what I've got right in front of me is basically what they were saying is they did research in moorfield's eye hospital where they trained an ai um basically to detect problems eye problems like 50 mm-hmm. eye problems and it gave them the scans and they pitted it with the best um the best uh, uh, not oncologists, but the best eye doctors i don't know the technical term for that and what they found was that the ai was either on par or better than these doctors at detecting eye problems and in in some cases it detected the eye problems before it, it, the, before it even started so it could detect I don't know maybe the cells growing at the back of the eye I'm not too sure much better than a human being could um, do that I just want to really quickly read one uh, um, sentence which was I think at the end so he gave a talk about this as well and I'm just going to read Mm -hmm. it what he said so he goes He said, sorry, we are on the cusp of a fourth industrial revolution, which has the potential to transform fundamentally the nature of work and commerce through advances in artificial intelligence, automation and interconnectedness. The nature of commerce is changing. Sales are increasingly taking place online and over platforms rather than the high street. We are entering an age where anyone is able to produce anything through 3D printing and where anyone can broadcast their performance globally via YouTube. And he said... That humans can still find meaningful work alongside robots um, by doing jobs that require heart. So you're saying jobs like creative roles and those that require personal skills like therapists Mm -hmm. and possibly teachers are safe. But we must recognize that the future is not somewhere far away. It's actually here. And he's wrote, as I said, he's wrote a book about that. I'll find the book title so you guys can drive it.
0: And we'll put it in the podcast notes so you'll be able to access Mm -hmm. it. I think it's really interesting because what we're trying to say here, Carl, is that it's not all doom and gloom. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's excellent that these um, computers can pick up on cancer sooner than a human being would be able to, or eye problems sooner than anybody, or better than anybody else would be able to. I think that's that's a great step forward for healthcare. Mm -hmm. But in the same breath, it poses us with challenges, doesn't it? About how do we prepare our young people for that world? A world that we cannot Mm -hmm. see, that is gonna probably come upon us quite quickly. Um, it's here. It's, it, yeah, but what i yeah exactly. Mm. It's already here, but is likely to change whilst kids are still in education. You so, know. Yeah. Um. And mm. so, how do we prepare them for that? And you started talking about how. Um, You know, certain roles will become available for young people. I was listening to a podcast yesterday by McKinsey, and they were saying in the U.S. alone, they are looking for 100,000 automobile engineers. That's what they need in the next few years. Mm. So there's massive opportunities as well with this.
1: Absolutely, um, the book by the way is called Values. So Mark Carney Values. That's the name of the book. Uh, I haven't read it myself, but if it's based on the talk, it's. I think you should read it. Now going on to what you're saying, I, 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 just to uh, to really um, double down on what you're saying, it's not all doom and gloom. I think it's absolutely exciting. Quick plug here: I wrote something called Teaching Generation Z. It's a free ebook where I look at at this as well. Um, so it's not all doom and gloom, it's not Terminator. Arnold Schwarzenegger is not gonna come to your house and kick down your door, all right? He's fine, okay? What we are talking about is, is as you said, how are we handling this? Now, I listened to a podcast um, by a company called 8 Billion Ideas. And what they had was they had, uh, I believe, let me get this right, Carl. They had Alistair Stewart, the newsreader, who was kind of chairing the discussion. You had the head of um, technology at IBM I think you had the head of technology at LinkedIn and somebody else for the life of me. I can't remember. All right. And they were talking about the education system and these new technologies and what um, I believe the head of LinkedIn said, which was or technology, the CTO of uh, LinkedIn, which was fascinating, was saying that at LinkedIn, obviously they they can see all the jobs that are coming. So obviously jobs get posted on LinkedIn. And they've, they've done, using algorithms, they've basically done an analysis on these jobs. And what they found was that 50, I think they said something along the lines of 50% of the jobs that they are now um, posting on LinkedIn didn't exist 10 years ago, right? So he was saying that we are preparing children for jobs that don't yet exist Markets that don't yet exist, and he put it in perspective. He said, If you look at things like Amazon, Amazon is only 20 years old, all right? Facebook, 14 years old, Snapchat, 10 years old, Netflix, I believe, is about 12 years old. We're educating 21st century kids in 19th century classrooms, and that's a problem.
0: I think the other thing you know, the thing that worries me is if you look, you know, any of these podcasts that I listen to, any articles that I read, when you look at the skills that they want. Mm -hmm they seem to be very much around um, the creative elements. Mm. So, because you cannot, you know, you cannot put in code for a robot to be empathetic yes. or to be creative. Okay. Um, or, or certainly they haven't figured it out yet. I don't want to say never say never. I don't want to be the block pu- the blockbuster. of this. That's podcast. when
1: Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, will come to your door when they figure so that exactly. out.
0: Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, um, the, you know, and those soft skills that, we need to teach our young people oh. and the creativity at a time when schools are really tight on budget mm. and they're pulling back on the creative subjects because they are quite resource heavy mm. or they're not valued as highly in progress. A eh? And that's the, that's the fear, isn't yeah. it? That our education system and the way that it's been set up, not because schools don't want to do it, because they're in an environment where they are not able to give our young people the best chances going forward. And that, mm. that really worries me.
1: I mean, if we look at our education system, and it's not to rag on it, but I believe part of the remit of School Meets World is to be very honest about things. Um, You've got to remember that our education system was developed at a time, it's basically at a completely different time. Our education system was at the height of the Industrial Revolution. Let's be honest part of our education system was to get our children ready to work in a certain particular type of job hence the grading system came in so obviously a child that showed a particular competency you give them an a that meant that you can put them in a a, a certain type of job and it's not conspiratorial because that's what we do as educators we say okay you go to the best unis you learn this particular subject then that means you can do this particular job and you get compensated for that which is all well and good in in, in an industrial age but we live in then in the information age now so this uh, memory recall so what we do we get our kids we give them information they have to memorize it for a test they write everything down you don't need to do that anymore we've that's the whole point of the internet <laughs> do you know what I mean why do I need to know as one of my kids said to me it made me laugh I always laugh when I think of what he said to me he goes sir why do I need to know about Henry Eighth and his eight wives who cares yeah if I need to know sir I'll literally look on my phone why do I need to, and again, I'm not getting on our history teachers here, it's an example, but he's right, you know, before it, we did have to have that memory recall, but now it's a case where we have to, as you said, we need different skills, and I think one of the skills we need to learn is how to learn quickly, how to learn and unlearn very, very quickly, because that's what we'll be doing.
0: Or how to process information quickly. Yeah because it's coming at us at such a rate as well. Now, like we've always said, you know, Carl and I won't always agree. And part of, I think what you've explained there is I do think we've moved on from that. If you look at exam questions, they certainly at A-level, they are very much around opinion. Here's some data. What do you make of this? And so we are Mm -hmm. moving towards that because they are the processing skills that our young people need. And so I do think, yes, there is still, we do still award marks for memory and recall of information but we are seeing a shift in our examination system where they have to process that information and they have to either give their opinion that's not to say that those opinions cannot be regurgitated from previous essays that they've written I certainly think that if you're listening to this podcast you know our teachers Mm. are working very hard to teach young people to have an opinion based on the information that they've got
1: it's not to rag as i said sorry go, on, sorry go on Just just quickly jump in it's not to rag on teachers and especially history teachers i don't want any history teachers coming to me saying henry the eighth was this that and the other i'm not ragging on your subject and of course i understand what you're saying in terms of especially when they reach a level uh you know when they reach a level of course it's about expressing opinions and processing information but fundamentally our education system is built on the premise of getting them some form of employment that's the main reason why 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 they're doing that Absolutely. and as we said in a, a previous podcast the forty forty plan is is, is the, the the idea of 40 hours a week for 40 years in one job and you get a, a nice retirement is gone it's dead it's not coming back the government spoke about there's been an increase in jobs if you look carefully at that these are jobs that are what we call in the gig economy they're not like contracted long-term jobs in fact those have been dwindling since the 90s and now if you think about it as an employer if i'm an employer and mm. i can hire somebody on a contract just say let's just throw numbers out there 40 grand on a contract but that means i have to pay sick pay i have to pay all these different things or i can get the same person to do it or I can export it to another country, or export it somewhere else, and I'm only contracting them to do a job for a month, and I don't have to pay them sick pay or whatnot. From a purely business perspective, I'm not saying from a ethical perspective
0: but of course yeah. you do this latter
1: exactly you know? yeah and
0: actually i was reading a study i think it was done by a london business school 50 percent of employers in the uk say they have contracted out work wow they are wow. using contractors you go on sites like fiverr they are getting them to do design work wow. because they don't need them year round the, mm. the book that i'm writing at the moment what young people need to know about money there is a recruitment section on there and you've got ai being used mm. by the likes of kpmg etc i believe have trialed it or one of the big accountancy firms, AI being used during the interview process. AI being used in the interview
1: process? During the interview process. Explain that. How? How do they do that?
0: So what happens is for the first round of interviews, because remember, they take on um, young people at the age of 18 as apprentices. They have thousands of applicants. So I think, at The first stage, and this has been done by quite a few large multinational companies, is students are being asked to log in or young people are being asked to log in who are applying at a certain time. And they are being asked a series of questions. And if their answers don't meet a certain level or they don't contain certain keywords, they are being thrown out of the interview. Wow. Do you see what I'm saying? The process. They're being whittled down. And you don't need a human being to sit there for two hours and interview this person. They're doing it online on a form or through a chatbot, etc. Wow. Okay? So it's already being introduced. One job that I thought was fascinating. So I've been I was watching a video and it was about female leaders in industry. It involved a woman whose sole job is to question the ethics of artificial intelligence and the reason I'm bringing this up now is again how do we teach young people to be able to debate ethical standards take an ethical stance now hopefully we are doing this but at the moment i think it's very much in the pshe element of school it's uh, i think that varies from school to school but her job so she worked in retail and looked at how companies are using artificial intelligence and she gave the example of the risk of bias in the data that is fed yep. into these machines she worked she went to go and see a makeup company And she was a black woman and uh, the people that had put this together. And she said some, a lot of them were her colleagues. She'd worked with them for years. And it was a makeup company that allowed you to virtually try on makeup before you bought it. What she found was they just didn't have enough data on black women. So when she stood in front of the screen, it didn't recognize her. And I kind of almost fell off my seat there. Yeah. Because it was such a prominent example of how if AI continues the way that human beings are c- continuing where they are, we have we naturally have our own biases if we feed that into machinery, will AI work for everybody? Another example that was used was a council in America was trying to use it to identify where potholes were so that they could fix them and they could use funding to go in those areas. So they did a big call out to um, the general population to put an app on their phone. And to have it on when they were driving and what would happen is the phone would pick up on vibrations and they could, um, you know, kind of recognize when there were potholes in the street. What they noticed was a lot of funding was going to very wealthy areas and a lot of potholes were being, being corrected in those very wealthy areas. And so they dug a little bit deep and they found out that actually what it came down to is that people in those wealthier areas just had more smartphones. And so a lot more of them signed up. And so the data was biased. And what this made me think was, number one, OK, we need to be really careful about the data that we're feeding in. But number two, we need to equip our young people to question.
1: Because when we think about artificial intelligence, it's almost a... Uh, a bias to that you know of course it must be right as we saw with uh, the the so-called mutant algorithm uh fiasco that we had with last year's a-level results twitter ran an experiment where they created a, a bot uh, mm. to be like a human person and within a day they had to shut it down because that bot was feeding off the tweets and it was racist and misogynistic and i i believe they had to apologize it was an experiment but they had to shut it down because it said that the, the the bot was just feeding from what is what was on Twitter already it's not that we told it to do that. so as you said these are real um, issues and these are real concerns
0: that our young um, people are going to have to find a way to solve um hmm. and if they don't and let's be honest, you know in school how many of our young people are being taught to question question what has happened uh question the data that is being presented in front of them? But I am, at, you know, I'm at a bit of a brick wall here in terms of how do you teach that skill? You know, we haven't, we've learned through our teacher training how to teach history, what's the best way to sure. teach math, what's the best way to teach, you know, economics, etc. Mm-hmm. But what's the best way to teach empathy, creativity, mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. outside the box, absolutely, ethics? What is the best way that we teach that? I never promised you any of we the talk. answers, listeners. Otherwise we'll be very we, rich.
1: We wouldn't we be doing this if we had answers. This. We'll probably be working for Elon Musk because I, I believe he's <laughs> what he's looking for.
0: Have you got any thoughts? How do we teach empathy? How do we teach ethics? All of these skills that are becoming really important in a world where AI well, is coming in.
1: I think, to be honest with you, just to touch on that, if we look at the way that the curriculum and again, it's not about particular politics, whether it's conservative or Labour, whatever you believe in. But what, what's happened is that there's been a more of an emphasis on the hard subjects. We hear about STEM, 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 STEM. Um, you know, and, you know, I know this for a fact. So my partner, she is an English and drama teacher. She loves drama as well as she loves English. But she went to an interview at a particular school, which I won't name. And they said, you know what, it will be better for you to stay in English. And when she asked why, she said, because drama departments are closing. They're just combining it with English now. Mm -mm. Things are just folding in on itself. I know for a fact I've got friends who are media teachers who one of my friends said to me, I'm really scared now. I am going to try and jump into English because, again, it's being folded up into art. It's being folded up into basically just being put away because again it's not a key focus and I understand and don't get me wrong I'm not ragging on the government I understand the government was basically saying yes we do need to focus on stem we do need to focus on you know hard subjects like physics and science because we're we're falling behind the likes of you know China Singapore and all these other places but at the end of the day what makes us human this is this is the key somebody said that humans are becoming more like machines and machines are becoming more human and if you look at people like Albert Einstein he played violin and he said violin playing is as important to me as learning equations because it gave him the opportunity to look at things from a different angle you know and the arts um you know the arts and the other subjects which are seen as soft subjects have been almost disregarded and disrespected at my time in education i've seen it with my own eyes and this is the problem this is what is going to differentiate us from machines because when i was growing up i was told i'm competing with somebody from singapore india or nigeria or i don't even know the united states now our kids are going to be competing with an algorithm so for this episode's guest we have got a esteemed colleague mark robinson who is a science teacher physics specialist developer and creator of artificial intelligence which marks and gives teacher feedback so First of all, thank you very much for coming on School Meets World. Mark, how are you doing? Uh, I'm great, thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Carl. No problem, no problem. So let's just jump straight in. So Mark, let's dive in. So Mark, tell us a bit more about yourself. Um, I'm really intrigued uh, to hear about this artificial intelligence that Marks and gives teacher feedback. Just pull that apart for us.
2: Yeah. Um, So I I originally got into teaching from tutoring, where you can watch a pupil do some work. Give them some immediate feedback as you see them getting a question wrong and then they can improve. You can then ask them a follow-up question or give them some extra explanation. And then I went into teaching and realized that you can't do that on the sort of scale of having class of 30 kids or 120 kids or even more overall. And that was frustrating because I could see the progress pupils can make if they get that sort of feedback and attention. And then the the gap between that and what's actually happening in schools, even as hard as I try to mark everything, it's just not possible. So I then resigned from my uh, full time job as teacher to build an AI that would read the pupils' written answers, uh, including their working for numerical work, for example, and then give them instant feedback, saying, oh, "Actually, this is how you can improve your answers. How you improve your a- language." This is what you should be thinking about so that was that's my main sort of interest in ai producing something that can do that and uh remove therefore a lot of the marking workload on teachers whilst also improving the student um what, learning
0: sorry mark could i just ask so i can having done Numerous CPD sessions on marking throughout my career. Um, I can almost imagine anybody listening to this, there's a couple of questions that pop into people's heads. The first thing is, does it only work on things that are numerical? So for maths and science where, you know, you've got a very specific right or wrong answer, or um, is it something that essay-based subjects can use it as well?
2: Okay, so uh, firstly, it's being built topic by topic.
0: Um, okay. So,
2: I'm starting with physics. That's my specialism. And that's where there's a particular uh, lack of teachers, the yeah, supply demand problem. Yeah. In terms of what it can mark, uh, I originally built it to mark the wordier answers because oh. th- those are the ones that pupils tend not to be able to self mark. If mm. it's a numerical question, generally speaking, pupils can know if they've got it right or wrong at the end ba- based on the number. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was first built for definitions, explanations, descriptions. That does work specifically for those sorts of questions where there are specific answers. So in physics, uh, if you're asked to explain, for example, why a car reaches a maximum velocity, even if your foot was down to the floor on the motorway, there, there are many ways of giving the answer, but there is a specific answer that you should be giving. And so uh, the the way this particular AI is designed, it, it's for that and not so much for analyzing style or structure of an essay.
0: Okay, okay, that's really interesting.
1: But as we spoke about on Twitter and we we're messaging each other, roughly speaking, looking at the level of disruption and automation and roboticism—if that's a word—robot, ro- uh, robotizing. I don't know. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. The amount of robots coming into the workplace. Roughly speaking, what do you foresee in the next ten? To 20 years, your opinions on how the economy is going to look, the work based economy?
2: Yeah, it, it, interesting question. So, I, I think often when we're looking into the future, um, it's helpful to see if there's anything similar that's happened before. And um, you put the nail on the head with regards to uh, robotics. So, robotics is about physical automation, and AI is a subset of, I guess, digital automation, but not necessarily related to the physical world. Mm. and with robotic automation there's been a number of steps so we had first of all kind of industrial revolution where the actual brute force was taken by machines we started being able to get engines and then as robotics improved we're able to get uh, machines to do more uh, increasingly dexterous Physical tasks, and therefore gradually replacing more and more jobs. So first, the horses lost their jobs, mm. and then sort of really basic um, kind of factory workers are losing their job, and then increasingly we have uh, more skilled labourers, you know, blacksmiths and things losing their jobs as as, as we're able to um, improve what we can do with that. Okay, I foresee a very similar thing happening, uh, or, or already having started to happen in the digital world. So as we've kind of developed um, basic uh, software that schools will already be using that tracks and monitors homework, accountants are using accounting software, a lot of clerks have lost their job. The kind of the grunt work of just checking that all these boxes line up and we we can all this kind of ticking exercises, a lot of that's gone. What AI is going to be moving us towards is being able to automate some of the decision making tasks as well. And we're not talking about super creative decisions We're going to be first or eventually we might be. But first of all, we're talking about routine decisions where people are making similar decisions again and again. And it therefore uh, makes economic sense to uh, build something to automate that. I mean, marking, uh, which is what I was talking about, is an example of that. Teachers regularly have to make the decision. Does this get the mark? Does it not? And what feedback should I give? That kind of task will be removed. But there's loads of other stuff um, that will remain. So I'm hoping, for example, that with my tool, it will give teachers more time to have more of the personal relationships, to focus on the motivation for the pupils, creating the whole scheme of work, the kinds of more complicated and interesting decisions and personal side of things. That's where I think uh, we'll we'll kind of be more left over at the end of the day.
0: Mark, I teach... um business and economics at GCSE and A level and obviously as part of business we do look a little bit about the role of technology and big data etc um and I always find it a challenge kind of trying to explain to students um how what the world is going to look like because I you know we can't see it ourselves but one of the ways that I explain it is increasingly people's role will be about giving things meaning what i mean by that is like for instance you know if i look at for instance marketing you know you can create really nice copy etc but actually a lot of it can be done automatically for you you know if you're advertising on social media facebook will put together an ad for you you just have to feed it some information and what I mean by that yes. is that actually the roles are moving towards giving that advertising meaning and in terms of looking at the results and seeing what works and what resonates with people and the kind of the more empathetic kind of human side of things, that's what we're going to have to return to.
2: Yeah, I think I think a lot of that will, will still be there. I think this is something that did complement. Twitter sort of mentioning how even, you know, even with advertising and marketing, we, you know, that's, that is one of those areas where AI is kind of, Really kicking off in terms of crunching the numbers on what is effective and what isn't, and I think that we, we even in in something like marketing, we may end up with something where um, the amount of input that a person has to give um, to for a particular marketing campaign will uh, decrease and decrease. So at the moment, you still have, have um, you know slogans need to be invented one has to look at sort of current affairs and, and the style of other pieces and go, yes, this is going to resonate with this target audience. I can foresee that eventually that would be done by um, an AI as well. I think it's, it is just going to be a gradual process of, of um, takeover. I think um, one of the things I mentioned in, in the Twitter is the kind of roles that we could see in the future. So mm. like with um, the uh, sort of robotic takeover, people's jobs have switched from being factory workers to now you know, people who build the factories and technicians and engineers who manage them and then process engineers. I think with AI we'll have similar things. So uh, you'll need people to actually design and build the AI, whatever it may be for, so for the marketing or for um, you know, marketing students' work or whatever. You'll then need people who actually uh, build that AI. So there's, sli- there's slightly different things. There's kind of designing it, and then there's a sort of software around it. So, for example, I can design the algorithm for this uh, marking, but then the whole website and the server and that kind of thing requires developers. So there's two different roles. And with the rising value of AI, you're going to have a lot more demand for developers to build all of this stuff that uh, supports this AI. Um and then you're going to have the people that actually use it. So in, in, in the case of this marking thing, it might be, um, the, the let's say, a business manager in an ed tech company, or it might be the teacher uh, would be a sort of end consumer of it. So the, those are roles that will still exist in the same way as you might have historically had people going, mm, we've got this new piece of machinery What are we going to use? How are we going to turn it into a business? How are we going to sell it to people? So then you still have the personal relationships
1: with the people you've got to sell to. Sure. And just to piggyback, I think that's a perfect segue into my next question, talking about knowledge. Um, Just to piggyback off what Roma said, do you think that our current school curriculum in 2021, as it stands, is helping to prepare our students for this future that you have beautifully painted for? us? do is the school system you know what we're learning is it outdated itself let's let's just throw that out there <laughs> <laughs> um Tough yeah one. That,
2: that's a difficult question and i think when we say the sort of the school curriculum i i'm sure there's a huge variety in the way um different bits of material are being delivered mm. um i remember I, I taught in one school and uh They had quite a bit of freedom and said, well, kids are going to need to use Excel, which is quite right. A lot of people need to use Excel. So they just whacked a load of that into the physics course. Um, You could also on the other end say we need the kids to just get grades. And if you focus on the kids getting grades like this, this is how you answer this sort of question and you spoon feed them. You get top marks, but it's obviously not really going to prepare them for life. So. Within the national curriculum itself, there is a huge scope for how it can be delivered. And I imagine there's a huge range in the way schools are preparing pupils for, um, uh, for life and how they're not.
0: Um, a lot of people would, I, I don't know whether, I think some people do feel nervous about it, who are kind of making those decisions on how the curriculum is rolled out and could argue that, well, we don't know what the future is going to look like, so let's just stick to what yeah. we know. How do you feel about yeah. that?
2: Uh, there, there's some skills that I think are... I think sticking to what you know is a good idea, because if you, if you change, and you change for the worse, that's really bad. Mm. Um, what we've done so far is kind of standard the test of evolution. So I, I sympathise with people who are cautious about changing... Um, the way in which we educate but I also sympathise with, yeah, with the need to change and I think it's really great you can see on edgy twitter there's always a hot debate about sort of more progressive methods and traditional methods I think um, we need some people to try new methods if only to work out that actually the traditional methods worked quite well what, what I'm thinking is the sort of skills it's, it's useful to talk about what skills are needed and um, whether or not what we're doing at the moment actually is uh, going to supply those skills. I've been, you know, I've recruited uh, developers and some successfully, some less successfully. And so I have some idea of of what sort of skills are required. This kind of thing that I think can be learned in schools and it it sort of depends on teacher style is the extent to which um, pupils are developing their skills in independently following instructions and independently finding out how to do a task they've never done before. So when I'm teaching a class, say, uh, how to solve a physics problem, let's say we're doing, um, I don't know, forces and motion or something, I might show them the specific sort of algorithm that they should follow in order to be able uh, to solve that problem. I can then give them lots of problems that are similar to that they haven't actually had to research anything. I would describe that as being spoon-fed. Now, they develop some skills in following an algorithm, but we need to make sure that at some point in their education, they are basically, you know, for example, here's a textbook, read for yourself and then answer the questions. Because a good developer basically is someone who can go to Google and Google, how do I do this? And then read some answers that they don't really understand read some more stuff so they can understand the first answer and then go and apply it that's like the fundamental skill if we were looking at someone to be a developer i think it applies to a lot of things if you're a boss you don't want your employees constantly asking you how to do stuff you want them to either follow the instructions you've written for them or to go and work it out um and so if we want to know are are we are we doing that or not that's the question to be asking um There is problem solving and independence. Yeah. So problem solving, I think, covers a huge range of things. And sometimes problem solving might be like um, the kind of questions you get if you're applying to be a consultant where you're given a paper and you've got to solve this problem in five seconds or whatever. That's one kind of problem solving. Another kind is just, you know, can you go away and find out what you need to know in order to... Solve this problem. So they're both problem-solving, but one of them involves a lot of uh, the kind of
1: research element of it and the independence of it. You spoke about earlier in a previous question about new jobs being created in in different time periods, like the Industrial Revolution, when new machinery was created, then it created new jobs. Right? There's been this whole thing. It's almost I call it a doomsday theory, um, where people are saying, you know, there's going to be mass unemployment because AI will take over everything and you know, the whole conversation around universal credit, which I believe Elon Musk kind of started it saying that, look, in the next 30 years, there won't be just enough jobs to go around. Do you think there is, and again, this is conjecture, no one knows the future, but do you think there is a a seed of truth in that particular realm, especially now we're looking at jobs that were traditional white collar jobs like accountancy. So I know people that are accountants who are talking about, you know, software programs which are doing their jobs for them. Is that something you can kind of, that's a worst case scenario, but is that something that you can foresee?
2: I think, yeah, in, in a way, yes. Um, there will be a lot of jobs, but I, what you again, we can look to the past. So we now have washing machines, we have dishwashers, we have, even on an individual level, we have so many machines that um, do loads of things that would have taken a lot more effort and a lot more time historically. That happens domestically, and it happens on industry, and yet people are still working five-day weeks, even though we we have mm. so much more efficiency and so much more uh, productivity than we have historically had. And you, I think, if you were to ask people a hundred years ago, will still people be will people be working if they had all this technology? They probably say no. But in reality, what's happened is where the average person historically would have owned very little stuff and uh consumed very little in general now um, we're all basically living like the kings of a few hundred years ago so we eat way more we're keeping our houses Mm. warm we have bigger houses we travel around a lot more and it might be that as productivity increases people um you know, move to consume even more. In which case, everyone still has a job. The only slight caveat with it is, if you don't, if gradually the number of jobs kind of does reduce and reduce and reduce, you could you could have this situation where you sort of have the super rich, and then and then people who haven't got the skills to access those new level jobs, and you know it could potentially be a dystopian future. But um, I don't know. I I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't put any bets down
0: it's interesting what you've been saying because we're already (laughs) seeing quite a few companies aren't we and i know that you know recently we heard um that in scotland they're trialing the four-day week um and whether that's Mm. a if that's a route that we're going to go down and i thought it was really interesting what you said earlier because i think a lot of the times when we do hear people fear what the future holds they often forget that they're already using a lot of ai
2: yeah and other with
0: siri etc you've already you've got lots of ai just in your pocket with a phone Um, And I think sometimes they think that it is yet to come or it's something that's going to happen to them rather than actually they're living hand in hand Mm -hmm, with it now.
1: In this disruptive landscape, we've spoken a lot about the future, but let's bring it back to 2021. For the parents, the teachers, the senior leaders that are listening, what can we practically do to help us children and students prepare for what's coming? What can we do which could be slightly different? Is it more emphasis on STEM? Is it more emphasis on, I don't even know. I'm not a technologist. What would you say from your opinion? How can we help those young people? Um, two
2: things. Uh, in terms, I, I firstly, caveat, I'm gonna be biased. I'm a physics teacher. I you know, I'm fully <laughs> in favor of STEM. Full
0: disclosure. From
2: from the <laughs> friends that I know, the ones that have a STEM background, you know, like particularly sort of engineering. I was also spoiled for choice with jobs. Um, and then I have other friends that are, are less so. And if, they're, if they've done super well academically, then yes, again, they, they can get jobs. But being, being able to solve problems, number-related problems is very uh, financially valuable um, in, in lots of areas of society.
1: Um, You've just destroyed my, you know, my media degree means nothing then. Oh dear, my media degree—that's gone out of the window, Mark. It was only a couple of
0: weeks ago, Carl, that we <laughs> no. were talking about things like degrees in Elvis studies and what was it—the David Beckham one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah you can study I David. I went Beckham. off
0: on a rant about this, the, by the way.
1: David, yeah, David Beckham is not going to do it. Thanks, Mark. now. So this, me feel, no, the, I'm this, I'm this, this, is, this is the one answer which you may
2: want to cut. <laughs> um, I, yeah, <laughs> I do. I, I, I think people would. do... I think the, the other thing is that um, there's basically an, you know, an infinite amount of STEM development to do, like R and D. There's so much technology to develop. It is that there is not going to be an insufficient number of jobs there. There's just there's it's going to carry on for ages. Wow! Um,
0: wow! The- so I was because actually one of the questions that I had down was where do you see the role of the creative subjects? You know, and you have you have disclosed your bias, which was very, uh, yeah. very good of you. Um, but surely we're not going to live in a world where there's no, you know, where we don't value creativity.
2: I think there's, there's I agree, there's lots of industries where uh, it completely depends on that. Um, yeah, I'll go to the theatre, it's enjoyable, and you've mm-hmm. got set designers, you've got costume designers, you've got people who write music. We all enjoy watching films, Netflix, this kind of thing. Um, and th- there, are, there are many other places that uh, industries that I'm ignorant of um, where these, these can be. Um, although my, my friends that are in those industries do seem to have to do a lot more work in order to just get a job um, and, and be mm. a lot more impressive um, than, say, if, if you have an engineering degree. That basically qualifies you for a job, so that they're there. But you know, if you if you want to be a professional musician, you've got to be really top notch. Um, yeah. Whereas if you get an A in, in maths at A level, you can probably get a job as an engineer.
1: Yeah, uh, supplant the simple supplant. Yeah. The,
2: the other the second question you asked was um, about uh, what what can teachers and parents do. It relates to something I was saying earlier about uh, the sort of independence. I think we uh, are very strongly tempted as people looking after and raising young uh, people to tell them the answers to the problems that they are about to face, particularly as a teacher where there's pressure to get them good grades. Uh, if you tell them the answer to the question that's coming up, then they will perform better at that question but what we need to do i think is step back a bit more and uh, make more environments where they can fail and where they have to independently go and find the answer for themselves not from an adult that they know um yeah they could go and find it from another adult but they have to then go and find that adult because that reflects what um your
1: real life problem solving uh means mm-hmm. that is that is a beautiful and powerful answer well mark you've been absolutely brilliant sir um i know you said i i'm not very well versed or you said you may honestly you've,
0: been you've enlightened us
1: you've enlightened us and i'm sure you're gonna enlighten a lot of people on our podcast last thing Tell us, where can people find you? Where, and as I said, you might be making a lot of money about your marking uh, AI. Uh, so tell people where to go. <laughs> <laughs> I might need your AI. As so soon as you make one for citizenship, I'm going to be your first customer, so. <laughs>
2: honestly.
1: So where, where can people find you? Your Twitter, your website? Tell us.
2: Yeah, okay. So if you want to get in touch, which uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from people, I'm on Twitter at Mark underscore Robbo or I don't know if I give my email out Robinson at googlemail.com if you're interested in just having a look at the website it's at mymarkingmachine.com mm-hmm. I'm yeah, interested in support uh yeah of any kind and uh anybody who
1: just wants to know more about it and mark it's a bit of a silly one because people might ask when we spell in mark robo so is it at mark underscore robo r-o-b-o is that right yeah. There you go. So that's, get him on Twitter.
0: I don't think that was a silly question because I wrote it down as two Bs so thank you for that clarification, Carl.
1: No problem. Well, (laughs) thank you very much. Do you want to close out Roma and then
0: Absolutely. So thank you very much to all of you listening. I hope you've been just as enlightened as both me and Carl have. Uh, It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. We'd love to hear from yourselves. Um, How do you see AI affecting the world? How are you preparing young people in your schools for a world that is going to look very different from what it does right now? And how do we do that moving forward? I think it's a really interesting conversation to have. Please use the hashtag school meets world. And we'd love to have that conversation with you online.